Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 12th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The government is to bring forward legislation which will ban restaurants and other businesses using tips given to staff for good service to make up their wages. Last month, Independence for Change TD, Joan Collins, told the Dáil that some employers were paying less than they should be. She named a number of restaurants that took tips that were given to employees to make up the difference between what they were paying and what they were contracted to pay so that they were not in breach of employment law and the contracts that they have with their staff. The Minister for Employment Affairs, Regina Doherty, is to bring a memo to Cabinet in the coming weeks proposing mending the Payment of Wages Act which would prohibit employees from using employers from using tips to make up wages and also require restaurants and others to display how they distribute tips and service charges. The proposal is very similar to the bill Sinn Féin has been proposing, which would prevent employers withholding tips and say that tips belong to the employee or were to be shared with other employees. The Sinn Féin bill is sponsored by Senator Paul Gavin, who's on the line with us this morning. Good morning to you, Senator Gavin, and thanks for joining us. What is the difference between what you're proposing in your legislation and what the government is suggesting now? Well, there's two fundamental differences, Mike, um, and thanks for having me on the show. The first is, of course, that our bill actually exists. It's been there for two years, uh, whereas all we've heard as of yesterday is the government has a plan for a bill eight years into this government. The fundamental difference in terms of what the minister is saying is that our ban, our bill will actually give a legal right to employees to their tips. The minister is not prepared to do that. She is willing, apparently, now to uh, change the law so that the basic rate of pay that someone has cannot be made up by tips. And that's a good thing. But she could equally do that by passing an amendment through our bill when it goes through the door. It's about to hopefully complete its stage with the Shannon today. And she's also proposing forcing restaurants and other businesses to display what happens to tips when people give them to staff for good service. If they don't go to the staff, and then people will know because there's a sign on the wall, in other words. And obviously the Minister, the government, uh, agrees that there's a problem. You believe there's a problem. Independence for Change TD, Joan Collins, highlighted very clearly where there are 
problems. Mm. Uh, and there is a, a consensus of sort in that respect. Oh, there is. And I mean, that second part in terms, in terms of displaying tips, that's in our bill. But mm. here's the thing, mm. and this is the important point, Mike. The minister is going to vote against our bill yeah. today. Mm. And she's going to encourage Fine Gael to vote against our bill. So Fine Gael, as things stand this morning, are going to vote against giving a right... Well, she'll do more than encourage them. They'll be whipped. Uh, they're required yes. to vote against it, yes. yes absolutely. <laughs> and even though, I have to tell you, a number of Fine Gael colleagues in the Senate have told me, put, uh, on a private capacity, that they can't understand this. This is a simple bill. The bill does two things. It gives a legal right to tips, and mm. it requires restaurants to display tipping policy. There's a major problem in this area. Mike, a report by the Workplace Relations Commission last year tells us that in 2018, 67% of restaurants and hotels were not compliant with basic employment law. Okay. Two out of three. So it's not a a few rotten apples. No, it's not. Mm. not. And I mean, our own survey Mm. showed that one in three workers weren't getting their tips. Uh, the Deirdre Falvey, the Irish Times, did a mm. superb piece a few weeks ago detailing how some of the major chains that we would all go to, and they charge us a service charge, and this mm. is the key point, and that service charge is kept, and nothing in the minister's proposals is going to deal with the service charge issue. In fact, that's the elephant in the room, Mike. We believe the service charge should belong to the workers. That's the Sinn Féin policy, and I'm glad to say that all of the other parties in the Shannon, except Fine Gael, now agree with us. Okay. They're uh, all set to, to support... Uh, I'm sure business. there's many restaurants who act honourably, at least a, a third yes, by your reckoning. Uh, let's uh, talk uh, to the restaurants. Adrian Cummins is Chief Executive of uh, the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Uh, this is sharp practice, isn't it, Adrian? Uh, and one which a lot of people find dishonourable because they give money to staff members because they know they're on low wages and they think they've done a good service and they were very happy with the service that they received from them. So do you support this bill? We uh, had a very good productive meeting with the Minister <clears throat> a number of weeks ago um, with regard to this uh, issue. Uh, we support her new proposal. Um, we only got sight of it yesterday. Uh, I've looked at it. We've, we're passing it on to our legal advisors and uh, we, are, we are supporting it, her, her, her proposal at the moment. And um, because you know, we want clarity to the issue. Um, there is uh, a few bad apples out there, uh, and we want to have a very transparent, and we want to have a, an industry that the consumer has confidence in it, the staff has confidence mm. in it, and the business owners have confidence that this, this, this will work. But you so, oppose the Sinn Féin bill, do you? Well, we asked our, our legal advisors that, uh, what, did they, what was their opinion of it, yeah. and, they, and their, their feedback was that this was going to open up a major tax issue for the workers on the ground. Mm. And, uh, well, let the workers worry about that. So, but, 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 but from an employer's point of view... Well, obviously the workers are going to be, uh, have an issue with regard to it. Well, yeah. We start supporting a, a bill that has uh, tax implications okay. for the workers. Well, then they're going to be seeing us in a, in a poor light also. Did your submission to the minister... Uh, come in line with what she suggested yesterday. Did you, did you uh, effectively write uh, what uh, the government is proposing? No, we didn't write what the government proposed. We had a conversation verbally with the Minister. Mm. It was, it and was is this what you suggested? It's, no, no. It was, one way, it was fairly one-way traffic because she was not happy with regard to the number of restaurants that had uh, not handed over tips to, to staff. She verbalised that to us. She had a conversation with us with regard to uh, what should be in place, and she would like to see that the policy with regard to tips 
is is displayed in the restaurant. We have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, so, uh, so you didn't win any ground with the minister, no? Well, what we did was we had a very constructive uh, conversation with her. Mm. Uh, she said she would go and have a discussion with her officials with regard to what is what what can be brought through in legislation. And yesterday we saw a fight for the first time mm. a fight of it. it it's, it's a bit funny, though, isn't it? You have this legislation from Sinn Féin. You're opposed to it. And the minister is introducing legislation uh, that you support. Yeah, and the reason why... And I've, I'll say after, meeting, after meeting with you uh, and hearing your opposition to the Sinn Féin bill, isn't that a bit odd? She didn't just meet with us. She met with all the other trade representative bodies for hospitality also. Paul Gavin, do you think that's a bit odd? Uh, oh, well, listen, it's completely odd. And just to correct my friend Adrian on one point, the minister at no point met with workers' representatives. In fact, they'll all be in the chamber today, so perhaps the minister might be good enough to have a word with them then. They requested a meeting, but they were told that she was too busy. Uh, in relation to the tax issue as well, Mike, I just yeah. want to clarify that. This bill makes no difference to the tax issue. Tips are already taxable. Mm. Taxable now, whether you get them in cash or whether they're paid through card, and they will remain taxable. So this is a complete red herring. And the idea, frankly, that the revenue commissioners are going to send an army of inspectors to, to inspect people on minimum wage rates of pay and precarious work contracts because of tips is, frankly, incredible. This is a red herring fished up by the Restaurant Association, and regrettably, the minister is now, is now repeating this. It's a complete non-runner. It's not an issue whatsoever. What they're really worried about, Mike, mm. is not the unintended consequence Who? of the bill, but the intended consequence, Who? and that is the service charge. Who, the restaurants or the government? Or the government. Are you suspicious uh, of... Of course I am. Of course I am. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is uh, we know that the minister has met with Adrian and met with the Irish Hotels mm. Federation. She hasn't met with any representative of the workers. And, of course, the Restaurant Association of Ireland refused to deal with trade unions. Mm. They refused to deal with workers', workers bodies. That's, they refused to deal with the Joint Labour Committee. That's the well, reality. Well, it's There's quite, a major it's, problem in this, in this sector. It's, it's very hard to understand, Adrian. I mean, when somebody goes into a, a restaurant and uh, they get their bill and they decide they're going to tip the server, uh, the waiter... And, do you think anybody thinks that's going to the restaurant, to the employer? Well, just to, I just want to clarify two things before answering your question. The minister uh, met with uh, workers within the industry um, because I know that she told me so. Uh, maybe she didn't meet with uh, Sinn Féin or she didn't meet with the trade unions, but she met with workers that raised issues with her. So I know that for a fact, and that that happened. What do you mean? She went into a restaurant and spoke to people, or no? They came into me. They went to see her. Uh, maybe it was other political parties that uh, brought them in, but and maybe. Um, well, I mean, it's trade unions that you would that, meet with, isn't it? Yeah, she well, hasn't met with the trade unions. Maybe Paul has agreed that it wasn't Sinn Féin that she met with. Or no, 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 no. He's, ta- he's talking about trade unions. He's talking about trade union representatives, workers' representatives. Well, all I know is that she met with uh, with uh, with workers that uh, had issues around tips, and uh, they, those issues was was, uh, was raised with her. That's uh, all I can say. And is that representative of the workforce? Well, uh, you know, um, I've seen um, uh, surveys done by by uh, by cer- certain uh, uh, groupings, uh, I've seen no uh, qualitative. Uh, there haven't been done by opinion polls or done by proper 
so, so, so you think it's right that the minister would talk to a few individuals rather than uh, the mandated tra- trade unions, the trade unions who have been mandated by uh, employees to represent them? Listen, there's an alternative agenda going on here at the moment, and uh, this is around the, the joint labour committees, and this uh, tips legislation is a proxy around that. That's, that's that's exactly what's going to happen going on here. Well, and, uh, I'd imagine most people listening to us uh, are, are confused by what you're saying and are saying to themselves, when I tip somebody in a restaurant, I'm tipping that person, I'm not tipping absolutely. the restaurant owner. And 99.9999% of restaurants are passing, passing those tips uh, on to workers. And if you look at it in detail, we in the restaurant industry are... But you said yourself there's a few bad apples and there's a need for this yeah, legislation. There is, there is over 10,000 hospitality businesses in the country. Mm-hmm. That's the fact of the matter. There's other sectors like hairdressing, yeah. like uh, taxis, what? like couriers, who also deal in the tip culture as well. And I would, I'd like to see... But why not introduce legislation, as uh, Sinn Féin has proposed, to make that tip uh, belong legally to the waiter? Or his, you, or, or his colleagues. As I said to you at the very, very beginning, we have an issue around the taxation issue there. And if we have an issue around... There's the, no issue for have, you. There's an issue also for the worker. So, there's I no, mean, there's it, no issue for you. Well, obviously, we want to make sure that the legislation is of sound, sound uh, existence. And that this is... is, is but it's is actually none of your business. Uh, the money is none of your business. The issue around taxation is none of your business. This is somebody else's money that some of your members are taking off them. Uh, and the suggestion here is to legally prevent them from doing that. What's wrong with that? Excuse me. In 2010, before Paul got elected to the Dáil, we had various meetings with the Revenue Commissioners around this issue. And when they were putting estimates on our industry of 10% of turnover. So it is an issue for us around taxation. And that we had a very good and productive meeting back in 2010 with Revenue around the taxation issue for workers. They, they, they Okay, they, let's go back to Paul, Gavin. That's a, a very interesting statement. 10% of turnover, so the restaurants believe this is their money. Well, now you said it, Mike. It's very clear, isn't it? Uh, it's 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 quite outlandish uh, what what Adrian is saying, frankly. And again, I want to quote from the Low Pay Commission report. It says, "Revenue advisor, the taxation of tips is not an area of concern for them." This is a complete red herring, fished up because, and this is the fact of the matter, service charges are being withheld from workers and put towards profits in restaurants. Major change. This has all been detailed mm. in the Irish Times. It's been detailed in our own survey. And again, I just reiterate, 67% rate of non-compliance with basic employment law in the food and drink sector. That compares with contract cleaning of 36%, domestic workers 20%, professional services 38%. So this, there's something exceptionally wrong happening in the restaurant and food and drink sector. Adrian Cummins... And unfortunately, Adrian won't deal with it, and he won't even speak to a trade union. We've, we've, I met Adrian last year and urged him to sit down with trade unions and try and work out a better future for this whole sector, and he refused. Adrian Cummins, uh, did you make a written submission to Regina Doherty? Did the Restaurants Association make a written submission to Regina Doherty? We weren't and- asked for a written submission to the Minister. We put our submission through the Law Pay Commission, which was the vehicle to be used parties. We've done that. We met with the Minister and we have had a conversation with her. But please, let me just clarify with regard to the revenue and the 10% estimate. When we met with the revenue, they saw where we were coming from and that is not the case and they agreed with us in 2010. That's the clarity. 
The documentation is there. It was long before Paul was elected to the Dáil. This issue has been, has been raised before. So if you're going to say to me that we are uh, absorbing 10% of turnover and not giving us staff, that is a blatant, outrageous no, you said you, you said it was estimated you, that tips. Ac- no, excuse me. You said we can play the tape back. You said it's estimated that tips account for ten percent of a restaurant's turnover. I didn't say that. I said the revenue at the time in two thousand and ten, in their opinion, but they were proved wrong. They were proved wrong. That 10% of, of, of okay, well, that's 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 that, that's a different thing if they were proved wrong. But I was only repeating what you had said, I which was we're going down a road that you are making an assumption and that all restaurants that 10% of turnover was... Well, you gave me the impression, uh, maybe you didn't mean to, but you certainly gave me the impression that 10% of turnover was tips and that you regarded the tips to be part of your turnover. In fact, 10% of your turnover, that was the impression you gave. The cat is out of the bag, Mike. The cat is out of the bag. Paul, play back the tape and you'll know exactly what I, what I, what I said. Oh, I heard what you said, Adrian. All of the listeners did too. Okay, we leave it there. Uh, the Shannon will debate the Sinn Féin bill and uh, the Minister will bring forward her own proposals in uh, the coming weeks. And thank you both indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Adrian Cummins is Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. We were also speaking with Sinn Féin Senator Paul Gavin. Michael Reed on LMFM. Is Wednesday morning, which means uh, that uh, the local papers are out and in your news agents, and indeed uh, Marie Kearns is here with uh, the local papers from across Loud and Mead. You're going to tell us what's on the front pages uh, this morning, as you usually do on uh, Wednesday, Marie. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's talk about the environment, a very uh, topical issue, as I think we're all aware now, and anything that can be done, uh, and everything will be done, uh, as you know, to protect yes. the environment. Uh, and uh, there's been a, a a lot of concern about smoky coal because, you know, it's mm. causing a lot of pollution and we're exceeding uh, the danger levels in many towns and villages across the country. They say, in part, it's due to smoky coal uh, and uh, there's been a ban in place. So there's been a ban in place in some areas for some time, as the doll was told yesterday. In 1990, Taoiseach Mary Harney, uh, then minister, introduced a ban on smoky coal within the Dublin City and the Dublin region, which had a radical and beneficial impact on public health and the environment. It saved many lives and improved the quality of health of many others. It was followed by extending the ban to other cities and across the country but not in all locations. Yeah, so it's nearly 30 years, 29 years uh, since uh, the smoky gold ban came into place in Dublin and has been extended since. Uh, and uh, as you, you know, uh, you must use smokeless fuel in right. Drogheda, or smokeless coal at least, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you must use smokeless coal in Dundalk. Uh, but in the rest of County Louth, you can burn whatever you want in terms of coal. Uh, it's a pretty similar picture in County Meath. Uh, in Navan, uh, you must use smokeless coal, but smoky coal is uh, prohibited or per- permitted uh, in the rest of the county. You look That's surprised. A, it's a bit Irish, isn't mm. it? I am surprised because I have mm. an open fire myself and I remember the time when the smoky coal mm. ban was brought in. Now, it's not that long, uh, if I remember correctly, in uh, the Drogheda area, maybe 10 or 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, more recently, I think, in uh, Navan um, and Dundalk. Uh, but there's only 29 areas uh, across the whole of Ireland uh, where smoky 
coal is banned. Uh, and uh, there's a, a clean air action group uh, which has been formed, uh, which uh, con- uh, prizes of many eminent uh, academics and professors and uh, people from groups like Antoshka and so on. And they've written uh, to the government asking them to introduce uh, a ban on smoky coal across uh, the country uh, because of the risks to human health. Uh, and uh, the government uh, was asked about this yesterday, as you heard there, by Michal yeah. Martin of Fianna Fáil. Uh, the government uh, agrees uh, there is a problem with this type of fuel. It's the Taoiseach. Uh, suggested. Uh, it is very much uh, government policy uh, and a government priority uh, to improve the air quality in our cities and towns uh, and in our rural areas. We want to do so not just because of health, um, and we know that poor air quality has a very severe impact on people who have respiratory diseases, bronchitis, emphysema, asthma, particularly children, uh, and also as part of our uh, climate action agenda. Um, that can, we can do this in two major ways uh, to improve air quality. Uh, first is restricting or banning uh, the sale uh, of smoky fossil fuels. Uh, and the second uh, is reversing some of the uh, errors made in the past and encouraging people to buy diesel cars. Mm, that's uh, a bone of contention, I think, with many people uh, who did buy diesel cars. Yes, we had a few comments about that last week, you'll remember, when mm. we had Eamon Ryan on, that's the right, leader yeah. of the Green Party. Mm. Uh, but I suppose we live and learn, and we've learned that smoky fuel is a, a bad thing. And anybody who grew up in uh, the smog of uh, Dublin in uh, the 1970s and 1980s uh, will remember that very very clearly before the ban was introduced in 1990. Uh, But the move now is to ban smoky coal across the country. There is a difficulty. The difficulty that we're running into uh, is that a number of coal firms uh, have indicated that they intend to challenge uh, the introduction of a nationwide uh, smoky coal ban, uh, which is government policy. Minister Bruton has received advice from the Attorney-General on this, and is determined to reduce the levels of harmful particulate emissions from residential heating, and is now working to finalise a legally robust plan which will improve air quality, particularly in our cities and towns. <coughs> Banning the use of smoky coal would have a positive impact on public health, uh, particularly in urban areas. Uh, but the difficulty that we're running into is that a number of coal companies have indicated that if the government attempts to extend the smoky coal ban, uh, they will challenge the new ban as well as the existing ban uh, that applies in Dublin. So if successful, not only would we fail to go forward, we may even end up going backwards. Uh, And they've indicated that they would challenge the ban on the grounds that we should also ban other fossil fuels, which they claim do as much harm in terms of air pollution, and that would be wood and peat. So we have to give this proper consideration. Uh, We don't want to end up voting for the law of unintended consequences, where we extend the ban and actually find out that uh, the ban in Dublin gets reversed. And we also do need to bear in mind the possibility uh, that peat and wood uh, also do the same level of damage to air quality, and therefore we would have to apply uh, the same uh, policy principles to that as well. Fisha Cleo Radker speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday on what seems a, a rather bizarre, if not somewhat mad, situation that the government cannot enact legislation or is slow to move to enact legislation to prohibit uh, the use of smoky coal for fear of being sued or for fear of a legal action which would result in the existing ban in the 29 areas that we spoke about earlier on being overturned. God, that's really mm. surprising, isn't it? And I'm yeah, just trying yeah. to remember, did they did they bring a challenge when it was brought in originally? I 
can't remember yeah, offhand. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering, mm-hmm. like, why they're they're attracting that challenge mm-hmm. now. Yeah, you know when it's it's in already in so yeah. many places mm. around the country yeah. in the built, very built up areas obviously in the cities and larger towns well it's only 29 areas yeah. uh, the bigger towns yes uh, but yeah. I, I mean if you take uh, County Mead uh, there's a lot of people in Navana I think who might go outside of the town mm. and buy smoky coal and burn it in the town they're not supposed to but uh, I think that's the sort of thing that happens so that business hasn't uh, been uh, 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 taken away altogether from uh, the uh, coal pro- companies and such anyway Let's uh, take a a look at uh, the front pages of uh, the local newspapers this week and we'll begin in County Mead and uh, the Mead Chronicle. That's right, Michael. We'll go to the Mead Chronicle. And it's a road in Balrath near Kells that Reston says is extremely dangerous, which makes the lead story of the Chronicle today, alongside a very eye-catching picture of protesting locals who came out in numbers to demand action at the junction. Sally Harding reports that the residents live in fear every day that there will be another traffic fatality in their community unless speed calming measures are introduced. The tragic death of a 26-year-old old motorcyclist recently at Balrath Cross has left the community shocked but not surprised according to Dara Shields of the Residents Association and basically the residents are saying Mm. they can't let their children out. If you're walking along the road on the N52 from the M3 roundabout to Balrath Cross you literally have to be ready to jump into the ditch though enough is enough and they are demanding action. Okay well that's a relatively big uh, demonstration. There's a a lot of people in that photograph isn't there? picture sometimes paints a thousand words doesn't yeah, it really yeah, and yeah. when you look it is a very I thought I catch a picture and it really shows I suppose the depth of anxiety amongst the mm, residents. Yeah, all right. Uh, strong feelings there in Balrath. Now to Dundalk. Uh, the Democrat uh, following on from uh, the local elections, leading with the politics of local politics. That's right. And uh, local bowl topper Marie Jor is letting off plenty of steam, as I'd see it, in the lead story of the Dundalk Democrat. She's hitting out basically Michael at political parties who she's saying is divvying up all the jobs on Louth County Council. She, of course, is an independent councillor and she says she's disgusted but not surprised. There's not one committee that an independent has been elected on today. Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Labour and the Green Party have divvied out all the jobs for the boys. Democracy is not an action in Louth County Council again. Okay. So she's not a happy camper. Mm. Pole topper at that. Yes, mm. and nothing for her. <laughs> OK, uh, we go to the Argus uh, and uh, uh, lost uh, child uh, who uh, was found safe and well, I think. That's right, Mike. Mm. Uh, this is about a child who was found on the streets of uh, Dundalk on Monday morning by shocked workmen. Uh, it's estimated the child is in and around three years of age, didn't appear to be in the care of an adult, was walking barefoot on the street and the shocked workers took him to the Garda station where it was confirmed he was safely being cared for and that Tusla, the child and family agency were alerted. OK, the Dundalk leader then uh, focusing on golf. That's right, a sporting story on its front page. Good news that Dundalk Golf Club's Brendan Lawler is set to tee up with the pros after winning an invite to the 2019 KPMG Trophy, a European Challenge Tour event, which will be played in Belgium from August 29th to September First, there's also a story on the front about Dundalk's first outdoor defibrillator being installed uh, outside the Coscuster shop on Clonbrazil Street. Uh, and that's as a result of a joint initiative between the first responders, Coscutters, and the bids office in Dundalk. Okay. So, 
good to have it there handy Indeed. for people to use in the case of an emergency. Very good. All right. Uh, a report from uh, the Health Information Quality Association, HICWA, makes uh, for the story that has appeared on the front yes, page of I the thought, Droid Independent. I thought this was a very interesting one, Michael, uh, about the cottage hospital where more than one third of the beds at the hospital were temporarily closed during a HICWA inspection because there was very little demand and a shortage of staff, the paper reveals. The inspection was carried out on April 4th this year and the inspector was informed that nine of the 23 beds were temporarily closed due to the lack of demand from the local acute hospital and lack of appropriate staffing. Also on the front page, a lovely colourful picture to mark 10 years of Money More Connect and there was great celebrations there over the weekend. Very good. All right, and we'll stay in Drogheda. We'll finish it in Drogheda. The Drogheda leader taking a look at uh, some new residents in the town. That's right. The arrival of 25 new Gardaí to the town on Monday is what the Drogheda leader leads with today. According to the story of the recruits, the largest amount of new recruits ever sent to Drogheda, of course, as a result of the ongoing gangland feud, will be out on the beat in the town centre as well as in local estates. Okay, very good. There are the stories making the front pages of uh, your local paper this week. If you'd like to comment on one of uh, those stories, something else you've been hearing or if there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Dáil, as you probably know, resumed its business yesterday after the recess and indeed after the elections. Four members of the Dáil have been elected to the European Parliament, namely Deputies Claire Daly, Francis Fitzgerald, Billy Kelleher and Mick Wallace. Pursuant to the European Parliament's Elections Amendment Act 2019, the deputies will cease to be members of the Dáil when they take up their seats at the first sitting of the European Parliament which is likely to be on the 2nd of July. Accordingly, vacancies will exist at that time in the constituencies of Dublin Fingal, Dublin Midwest, Cork North Central and Wexford. Meaning that there will be by-elections as uh, Ciam Corla, Sean O'Freil, was uh, outlining uh, to members yesterday. Let's talk about this with our political editor, Eileen Brophy. A very good morning to you, Eileen, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, They must move the writ by January 2nd, uh, but the Taoiseach, uh, it appears from reports at least, has been suggesting that he may do this earlier. That's right. He's talking about um, uh, October, maybe you know, uh, December, November, around that that time. Now, it's not actually in his gift. Um, it's actually the doll uh, that decides when this is going to happen. Uh, always, it was um, you know, if if somebody died um, in a constituency, they would then leave it to the, that party to make a decision of uh, when that the writ should be called. Now, up until 2011, I think it was, uh, when the when there was all changed, that it now is the doll and you have to do it uh, within six months. And also, um, you can't call it for a, for a month um, after it's been vacated. So uh, things have sort of changed. And when he said yesterday that that's what he thought was going to happen, it is actually uh, the, the doll that will make that decision. Um, it's very different from what he was saying a couple of weeks ago when he was saying, well, we won't have by-elections. Mm. Uh, we'll probably have a general election. 
Um, so well, I suppose that comes to the next question, uh, yeah. and will he win the by-elections? Uh, but you were saying a, a month after the seat has been vacated, yeah. uh, and as the Ciancora said there, that'll be the 2nd of July when uh, the four TDs take up their European Parliament seat. So that'll yes. be the 2nd of August before uh, so they get to do anything. that's right. Yeah. So you can't mm-hmm. call it when the doll isn't in session. Mm. Uh, because it's actually the doll that's causing uh, calling it. So you can't call it when the doll is in a session. So they right. have to wait mm. then until the doll comes back. And mm. the doll usually in September. comes back in the middle of September. Right, OK, yeah. So, so it'll be the middle uh, of uh, October. Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So the it first be opportunity. November, really, right, um, okay. I suppose, mm. yeah, for, uh, mm. for it. So, you know, so like we just have to wait and see what's going to happen, um, you, you know, because the laws actually changed, as mm. I said there uh, earlier in in all of this. Um, and it's not actually in his mm. gift, in uh, Leo Varadkar's gift. Yeah. Um, so, but it, what it does tell you, I suppose, is that he doesn't seem to be as keen to having um, a general election uh, this year as he seemed to be a couple mm. of weeks ago. OK, well, governments generally don't do well in by-elections. And I don't no. mean just this government, but whether it's a Fine Gael government or a Fianna Fáil government or a Conservative Party government in the UK or whatever party it is in any country, governments don't do well in by-elections. So uh, he's going to face into four by-elections. Can he win them? Well, I think it's unlikely uh, that he can win them because, as you said, they don't do that well. Also, we, you know, we, if you look, if you take this, the local election into consideration, um, uh, particularly in Dublin, and you have three of those in Dublin, um, and sorry, two of those in Dublin, um, Mick Wallace mm. in Wexford. Yeah. Fair Daly um, and Francis Fitzgerald. Fair Daly yeah. and Francis Fitzgerald. So you have two in Dublin. Uh, the Greens certainly did exceptionally well in Dublin, as did Fianna Fáil. So, um, it, you know, it, would, it, it is going to be difficult, even though if Francis Fitzgerald is Fine Gael and it is mm-hmm. her seat, I still think it would be it would be very difficult for them to win that here. Now, also in, in Billy Kelleher from Cork, definitely Fianna Fáil would be going all out mm. uh, to try and win that one there. And then Mick Wallace and Wexford, it is difficult to know um, how, who, who will win that one. And of course the bottom fell out of it for Fianna Fáil in Dublin. The bottom fell out of it for Fianna Fáil across the country but in particular in Dublin. So if Fianna Fáil is uh, regaining some ground, it would be just a, a natural rebalancing to Absolutely. win some seats in Dublin. So uh, that would be a bit of a, a gamble to go to the polls uh, for the Taoiseach, would it not? Uh, because losing by election after by election uh, could prove detrimental to morale. Yes, it certainly could. And I think, you know, at this stage now, uh, the only thing that's really stopping Fine Gael calling, a, 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 you know, a, a full mm. election is uh, Brexit. Right. And uh, I don't think people would, you know, would thank him. I don't, he, it's it's uh, unknown territory. Uh, it's very, very difficult at the moment because we'll have to wait and see, obviously, who's going to be the next prime minister mm. um, and, you know, where all that's going. So uh, it would be, uh, he, he wouldn't be thanked by anybody if he, he went to the polls uh, you know, in, in October, November. Okay, and they're talking about doing it in conjunction with another referendum. What's this one about? That's right. I see, like we were told, remember last year, do you remember, you may remember, mm. uh, that Leo Varadkar, remember, he was up north himself and he was speaking at a dinner and he said at that dinner that more than likely we would have uh, this referendum, which would mean that all citizens at the time, it was because he was in Northern Ireland, he was saying, you know, the citizens of, of Northern Ireland would be able to vote in a presidential election. Uh, but he also uh, will also be extended out 
to to Irish people living anywhere really in in the world. Mm. So he had hoped, and he had said at that time that it would happen in May uh, with with the local elections, and we know that didn't happen then. So now he's saying that it will probably be in October. So if you have the by elections um, in in October, so the, in in those constituencies, it would look as if we'll all be going to the polls uh, for a referendum uh, on the on, on, vo- on the voting for the presidential election. That'll be a very contentious referendum, I, I think, Eileen, because uh, I understand if you count up the population of Northern Ireland and uh, the descendants of the population of Northern Ireland living across Britain, it's over 2 million people and then there's nearly 1.5 million citizens who are resident outside of the state, uh, so you're talking close to three and a half, four million people who'd be entitled to a, a vote who don't live in the country That's right, absolutely and while it, it would certainly would people be concerned of it opening the doors for you know for general elections mm. or for other things while uh, people still have this idea that the president is kind of a figurehead there which in fact he, he, he or she is actually more than that and while they may not have the same concerns about it uh, for a presidential election I think people would be wondering would this open the door uh, for other elections um, so I think it, it will be contentious there is no doubt about that um, and I, I, you know, I think once it's called uh, we'll just see where, where that one is going but a lot of people you know, it would also um, some particular parties that would do well abroad mm. with the Irish abroad um, while other parties might not have the same to the same extent so it, it will be contentious there's no doubt about that OK Eileen thanks for joining us Eileen Brophy is our political editor Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns is back with us and you have some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning, Marie. I have indeed, Michael. I'm going to go to smokeless fields first because Mm. Catherine wants to know why it's always the ordinary people who are targeted when it comes to making environmentally positive changes. Changing to smokeless fuels or getting rid of diesel cars, all of which cost the ordinary people more money because smokeless coal is so much more expensive and who can afford to run a petrol car on the current fuel prices. There's lots of big businesses around the country who are leaving a much bigger environmental footprint than the man on the street, yet they don't seem to be targeted at all when it comes to being more green. Mm, Okay, well, there you go. There you have it. On tips, we've had a good few people in touch regarding tips. Anna says, this is in the, that mm. you were discussing at the top of the show, Anna says it's dreadful to think that some owners are denying their staff access to their hard-earned tips. She says, fair play to the Senator on your show for trying to make it illegal for this to happen. Her own children worked in the hospitality sector while in school and college and it was their tips that made the job worthwhile because it topped up their minimum wages. Mm. Still on that, um, Eileen from Drogheda says, when I tip, I wanted to go to the serving staff, not the owner of the establishment. I'm aghast to think that the waitress or waiter serving me wouldn't get that tip because it's given as a goodwill gesture. Mm. If they're really excellent when I go out to eat and have a meal, I usually give 
a little bit extra because I'm very happy with the service and I reward them. Similarly, if the service is bad, I may not give a tip at all. Mm. And I just think it's so wrong if the tip doesn't go to the person it's intended for. Yeah, I suppose, I have to say, I'm in full agreement and I'm very surprised that Regina Doherty, the minister who's going to introduce laws in respect of this, isn't. She's not going to make it the right of the employee, the waiter, that it legally has to go to them. She's saying that the employers won't be able to use it to make up their wages to bring them up to what they're supposed to be paying them, Mm. but they can keep the tips if they are paying them their minimum wage anyway. Okay, Pat from Carrick, McCross phoned Mm. in. He says, listening to your discussion regarding tipping, I feel that all young girls and boys who work in restaurants work very hard Mm. when they're serving. Uh, You see them, they're working flat out from when you go in the door. I feel Mm. it's a hard enough job and it's very unsociable hours. Mm. And I do believe, listening to the discussion about this, that it should be on the door alongside the menu what the tipping policy is in the establishment. Mm, mm. When you see the menu and the price system, it should say it in black and white if the tips go directly to the staff or not. So at least the customers know. Mm. Well, if it's uh, €10 for a a burger and... uh there's a 10% service charge and that goes to the restaurant. It's not 10 euro for no, a burger. No, of course it's not. It's 11 euro for yes. a burger. And it should say 11 euro rather than that sort of skewed thing yes. where you think you're giving money to low paid workers. Yes. Uh, and uh, it should be there's, uh, and uh, by law, uh, and I think most people agree that most people when they give tips, they think they're giving it to the staff. They don't think they're paying extra for it the burger they or whatever do. I'd be raging yeah. I, like mm. if I thought that it wasn't going to the staff yeah. when I do mm. do tip mm. and I do agree with that that listener who says like that you, you are rewarding if someone's mm. particularly nice and friendly and the service yeah. is yeah. excellent yeah. Yeah. and you're mm. in good form yeah. you might yeah. give another few oh, bob yeah. than yeah. the norm yeah. you know? well I mean I think it's the case 99.9% of the time I mean sometimes uh, waiters are, are rude or they're yes. slow or they're docing or whatever I mean it's it hardly ever happens I mean it's a very hard job to work in a restaurant uh, no matter what you're doing in a a restaurant but uh, if that's the case then you have the ability to say well I'm not giving a tip mm. you know you can you can judge the service and I think a lot of people see it that way and if the service is very good and you really like the waiter or the waitress you give that bit extra yes you know? yes mm. Mary says I had a daughter who worked in a restaurant and if there were any accidental breakages on the night she was working it was taken out of their tips no matter who broke the the you know, whatever yeah. it was. Mm, if, yeah. if it was a customer and it was yeah. knocked over table. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
class or something mm. like that. It was taken out of their tips. And I just felt that this was really unfair, mm. says Mary. So lots of, another Ken says, delighted that there's going to be some legislation in relation to tipping. I never realised, Michael, that some owners actually took the tips. I think this is absolutely unbelievable. Yep. It should not be included either as part of a person's wages. I think that's disgraceful. A person should get their basic wage, whatever that wage is, and then if they get a tip, that should be a bonus. Mm. Okay. for those serving. Alright, uh, let's go to uh, the Drogheda Rural Electoral Area and uh, filling uh, the final seat there. As you've been hearing, the independent councillor Kevin Callan has nominated uh, the Fianna Fáil candidate Declan Power to take up uh, the seat. Uh, that will be voted on now by the members of Loud County Council. I suppose the expectation that Kevin Callan has at least is uh, that uh, they will follow uh, his nomination nomination and endorse it and elect uh, Declan Power to the seat. It should be said that uh, Jeff Rudd uh, was uh, the lowest uh, polling candidate. He got 51 votes. Patrick Green uh, was was the lowest actually at 45, then Jeff Rudd at 51 and then Declan Power who uh, was third from the bottom with 261 votes. Uh, the candidate who lost out and was closest to getting elected was uh, the Renewa Ireland candidate Eamon Sweeney who's on uh, the phone. Uh, a very good morning to Eamon and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I should say before uh, you respond uh, to what Kevin Callan has uh, proposed to the members of uh, the council that uh, Kevin Callan is not available to us uh, this morning and we did speak uh, with uh, Declan Power uh, and he declined our invitation to speak with us uh, this morning as well. Uh, I, oh, he's not there. Okay, all right. I'm just being told that Declan Power isn't on the line. Uh, perhaps uh, we can get to speak to him with uh, a little bit later on. Uh, but uh, I think uh, there will be some reaction to that uh, decision. Yes, I know we did speak to Declan Power, and he's not available today, Michael, yeah. to talk to mm, us. Yeah. He said to us like, "Ah, yeah, no, well, sure. When he's available, he can tell he us. Will. Well, he'll yeah, tell he's, us. He's not he, available. He, he doesn't want to talk to us today. He wants to wait until no, he's yeah, he doesn't want to no, talk no, to us. No, let me just finish. No, no, he no, wants, no, no. He wants if, he, to if he wants to talk, let him come on and say." what he has to say. He no, don't be, reading out, don't be reading out statements for people, Marie. If he, Declan Power wants no, to say something... No, I'm not reading out a statement. I'm only just saying that he, he's, he wants to wait yeah. until he's actually yeah. co-opted yeah. and then he'd love to Kevin come on. Kevin Callan is not available and Paul, uh, or what's his name, <laughs> Declan Power uh, has refused to come on. But okay. we do have yeah. um, Eamon Sweeney coming on mm. from, who was the last candidate yeah. to be eliminated, is coming on towards mm. the end of the yeah. show, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. So we will get Need to speak 787 to 787 votes compared to Declan Power's 261 votes. That's right. I think Declan was eliminated after the third count yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. On the third count, yes. Um, yeah. After the second count. After think, the yeah. second yeah. count, on the third count, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. So that's it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it was a surprise, mm. wasn't it? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I know nothing about it. Well, there was such speculation as mm. to who it might be. Yeah. Uh, considering that he ran under the Fianna Fáil banner, I yeah. felt it was a surprise because well, I, I felt, yeah. you know, it would be somebody that might have been where, you know, that mm. might have ran as an independent. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm surprised uh, that uh, Fine Gael candidate Kevin Callan would select a Fianna Fáil candidate. Yes. You know, he must have really well, fallen out with Fine former Fine Gael candidate, Fine Gael, yes. Really, yeah, no, no, Fine Gael former, blood, former yeah. Fine Gael. Oh, God, that nonsense. But he did have a fallout, mm. so I suppose that shows mm. that his ties, although there was a lot of speculation, would he, you know, go back to yeah. his roots and would he nominate somebody who, who did yeah, come from the Fine This Fine Gael candidate has elected a, a Fianna Fáil candidate, all but elected a Fianna Fáil candidate. I suppose yes, uh, that's what I thought was really It's a mirror surprising. of the national image, is it not? Um, 
yeah, I suppose. But I, I, I don't mm. know. I still thought it was yeah. a surprise. Of all the names being speculated mm. on, I never heard Declan's name mm. being mentioned. Mm. And that's nothing against Declan at all because I'm sure he'll make a f- very fine candidate. But it was well, more, I'm not be- sure. more because he ran well, as a Fianna Fáil. Yeah, well, I'm not sure how many people would agree with you. The quota was 1,162 mm. and somebody is going to be elected after getting 261 votes. It's yes. quite an amazing situation. Really. It is, but mm. you have to look at the other side, the other county. In Meath, mm. someone was elected after not getting any votes at all or someone is going to be elected after getting no votes at all mm. but didn't run at all. Mm. So which is the better? Yeah, it, is that going to happen? Is that what she's going to do? Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm. She has named uh, somebody who has been part oh, of her okay, campaign. Right, okay, yeah, who right. has been part of her campaign. Right, never right. went before mm. the electorate. Oh, right, lives okay. in Stamullen, mm. so obviously lives in the yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As Declan does live mm. in Clara Head oh, as well, yeah, which yeah, I suppose yeah. needs to be mm. factored in. Is she available? <laughs> Let's get a Sharon Coke on the I didn't know this. Is that... Mike, where have you been living for the last week? Yeah, yeah. You, really? You, 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 you see, you were um, obviously looking at, at... There were so many other things mm. going on, Michael. Yeah, maybe so. So many other things. Yeah, but that's what's happening in Meath. Mm. Now, she hasn't been uh, officially co-opted yet, no. but that is what is happening. But it's a little bit like Kevin Callan's nomination. You nominate them and... It's and more it has to go before the full yeah, council. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so very surprising mm. announcement today and I'll be dying to hear mm. what they do say, Michael, when yeah. we do get them on yeah. the show. Give Sharon Cogan a ring there, ask her uh, who this person is uh, that she uh, feels uh, should be a councillor and why they didn't stand, put themselves forward. Mm. That's very interesting. So lots to talk mm. about when okay. we do get them all on, Michael. All right, OK. <laughs> okay. Any more comments now? Yes, of course. Oh, okay. I have loads yeah. of comments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You sidetracked yeah. me there. Mm. Uh, we had lots in relation to the downsizing uh, that we discussed yesterday. Mm. And Seamus phoned in and Seamus says that he's not really impressed that there seems to be pressure being put on senior citizens to downsize by the government. He says if an old person wants to move to a smaller house, they can do it without the government probing into their affairs or telling them that it should be done in order to try and ease the current Mm. housing crisis. That many people in big houses do decide to downsize, but it comes from their own decision. Mm. And he just worries that older people could be influenced. Yeah, uh, but maybe they want to move as well uh, yeah, and the yes. government could help them. Yes. You know, I suppose there is another side to that. The question is, do they feel pressurised into coming to that decision? Yvonne, mm. just on that, mm. says that she feels it would be a huge move for many people in their twilight years to think about moving because even though they could be living in houses that probably are too big for them, mm. they are living in a community where they probably lived for years. They, they know their neighbours mm. mm. and mm. they probably have people watching out for them. So it'd have to be very carefully thought out where they would move to and that this should all be considered mm. uh, in this type of proposal. Okay. So, all right. Make that the final word for the moment. Okay. We might come back to some more of those comments uh, before we finish up today. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch. Thanks, Marie, for bringing us uh, those calls. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Nine months on from publishing his final report, Dr. Gabriel Scali yesterday published a supplementary report into the cervical check scandal and the outsourcing of smear tests to people who weren't necessarily qualified. 
it seems, uh, with uh, one of the unaccredited clinics in Salford, a MedLab uh, clinic in Salford, uh, testing some 90,000 slides. Effectively, this was a room provided for by a long-standing staff member uh, who had relocated from uh, the Dublin base uh, to the greater Manchester area. Dr Scully said uh, that patients and their families are now looking for the truth and apology and to, to know that it will not ever happen again. Let's talk about this with Louise O'Reilly, who's Sinn Féin's health spokesperson and a TD for Dublin Fingal. Good morning to you, Louise O'Reilly, and thanks for joining us. Good uh, morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Dr Scully, was obviously surprised uh, to learn how many labs were testing uh, these Irish slides. Uh, He originally thought it was 6, then 11, and now 16, it seems. Uh, Why was he so slow in gaining that information? Well, it appears that the... uh, Well, we we know initially that there was quite a lot of difficulty in obtaining uh, files and in obtaining documentation from the HSE and the Department of Health. I mean, at the time, and I think I would have spoken to yourself about it at the time, uh, when he started to look for this information, he was being given printouts of, of information that was available online rather than uh, having it sent to him in a searchable format. So all of that kind of stuff was put in his way. Notwithstanding that, uh, he did, uh, to be fair to the man, in incredibly difficult circumstances, he did manage to find out that which was uh, suspected. I think the HSE really and uh, and the Department of Health have the questions to answer on this because it's very, very clear that while this outsourcing was happening to labs that they knew absolutely nothing about, mm. nobody was asking uh, these questions. So I met with Dr Scully uh, yesterday and I asked him, you know, at any stage, did it appear that anyone in the HSE, the Department of Health, the, the Cervical Check Programme, that anyone actually asked where exactly are these slides being read? And bearing in mind that the labs themselves Mm. had flagged an issue with the HSE with regard to capacity. So they themselves were saying that they had a capacity issue and uh, but there there seems to have been no more investigation. So I suppose the question is, did the the labs breach contract with uh, the HSE? That's the first question. But I mean, the bigger question for us, because uh, the, the HSE personnel are still in place, is why in the name of God was nobody monitoring this? This is a big contract for a massive amount of work, really, really important work. Well, that's the more important point, isn't it? The work is so important. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, look, Michael, we've spoken about this many, many times Mm. before, and I'm sure we will again, but I will do, as I usually do, I say, to the the women listening and, you know, to, to go get your smear test done it is important screening saves lives we know that screening saves lives yeah. and women need uh, and deserve to have confidence in the service and I know that the Scully report and all of that information the fact that a light has been shone on it really gives women sometimes cause to be concerned but I would say to them if anyone is concerned go and talk to your doctor but please do get your smear tests done screening but saves lives if one person in Manchester tested 90,000 slides and hadn't been accredited to do, to do so, uh, well, uh, they may have been qualified and they may not have been qualified, but I, I suppose uh, because uh, they were accredited retrospectively, uh, it, it's uh, impossible to know the quality of uh, the screening. Absolutely. And um, the Academy of Medical Laboratory Science 
scientists have said that there is uh, some possibility that we can maybe look back at the data and find if there were what they would refer to as cluster errors, so that there were errors clustered around one particular location, one particular scientist or one particular facility. Uh, And I think that that work uh, can and should be done. Uh, Dr Scully has indicated a willingness uh, to continue to work with the Department of Health and with uh, the Minister for Health. But really, you know, at the moment, the question on people's minds is when is the backlog going to be dealt with and when are we going to have the uh, HPV uh, testing, which is much more sensitive and will give us much better results. And the answer to that is the backlog is still running at 61,000. So we are still dealing with the consequences of the minister offering a free smear test to everybody without even checking if the capacity was there. Um, so that's, we know that a contract has been signed with Quest Laboratories and the hope is mm. that that backlog will be cleared soon. So if there's anybody listening who is waiting on a test result, the hope is that the, the time will be reduced. But realistically speaking, women will still, some women will still have to wait 30 weeks or more to get those results back owing to a very poor decision that was taken uh, by the minister when he, he tweeted all women should have a, a repeat smear test to put their mind at rest. What he should have done and to actually put their mind at rest was ensure that the capacity was there before mm. making any such offer. Notwithstanding that, um, the backlog is, 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 is still quite large, as I say, it's over 60,000, but it is going to be addressed via a new contract. But what we need to be sure and I say this as someone who uses the service myself, what women need to be sure is that the HSE are in there and they are monitoring for quality assurance because it's very, very clear from the latest report from Dr Scully that no such monitoring was taking place, that there was very much a hands-off attitude. And that's what happens with outsourcing. You know, when, when, uh, when outsourcing happens, there is a loss of control. Um, there, isn't, there wasn't any great oversight to, to any degree at all happening. And we don't know... Uh, who in the HSE it was that was simply signing off on uh, that was simply signing off on these tenders without doing the requisite work to ensure that the um, that the follow up and the quality assurance was going to take place because this was happening remember over the course of a number of years so when we look at Dr Scally's report we see that the emphasis on quality uh, is reduced it, you know it, the weighting in the tender documents on quality is reduced uh, from 25% in 2008 to 15% by 2012. Mm. The waiting for capacity was also reduced. And what was increased was the waiting on price. So it was a case of cheapest wins. And that's not good enough because this is a really important service and quality should have been absolutely paramount. Bearing in mind the outsourcing happened as a political decision. It wasn't a clinical decision. Clinicians were excluded from that decision. So realistically, uh, you know, mm. when you when you look at Dr. Scully's report and when you read through it, you see a hands-off approach. You see the damage that can potentially be caused by, uh, by outsourcing in terms of oversight. Mm. And you also mm. see a reduced emphasis on quality in favour of cheapest bid uh, and, and cheapest service wins. We've been hearing about uh, damage for over a, a year now and uh, lives have been lost, people have passed a, a away and uh, there's been a, a lot of concern. But are, are we talking a, about something now that is behind us and are we moving on? Are we 
dotting the I's and lining the T's and doing some housekeeping in terms of what happened in relation to outsourcing these slides and finding a way to move on in a more efficient sense? Or do you expect that there'll be more horror stories because there is a review of more than a thousand slides that has been carried out by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists? Do you expect any adverse results from that? Well, I don't want to preempt that because I'm aware that there are, there are women listening who you are maybe involved in mm. that process. So that process will take it will 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 will, uh, will take its course, and hopefully the the results of that will uh, will will add further comfort to women. But what I would say is, you know, in order for us to be able to draw a line under this uh, under this issue and move forward, as you say, a number of things have to happen, and we need to be sure that the HSE will take the necessary steps and that the Minister will ensure that the necessary steps are taken for oversight, for quality assurance, for governance and all of those other arrangements that we now find out were not being uh, actioned. And also, and I think this is uh, this is of primary concern, that we start to move towards repatriating that work here into this state. So in 2008, when the outsourcing happened, the uh, the laboratories were gradually phased out. So we have a loss of personnel and we have a loss of knowledge. That needs to be put back into the system. And I'd like to see a plan from the Minister to ensure that all of the HPV testing, that we move towards all of the HPV testing being done in this state, because that way we can regulate and we're not dealing with, uh, you know, a, a vague notion of, well, can we compare the quality assurance procedures in a lab mm. in America versus the quality assurance procedures in a lab in Dublin? If it's being done in this state, if it's been done on this island, there is a greater control that the HSE will have greater control and greater oversight. And that's what I would like to hear, that the minister has learned his lesson, that he understands the difficulties caused by outsourcing and that he is prepared to address it, to insource it. To yeah. did, did he not inherit that? Oh, I mean, was that, that was a decision taken by Mary Harney, wasn't it? It was a decision mm. taken by Mary Harney, but remember that decision was reaffirmed by subsequent ministers for health. So that just because mm. somebody took a decision, um, ten and was, was HSE policy, uh, and was HSE policy in fairness to the minister on the minister assuming his office? It was it was in place at the time, but we also know that the tender was renewed on a number of occasions. The difficulty is that the oversight wasn't taking place, that there wasn't that uh, that there wasn't that oversight, and that nobody in the HSE was monitoring the quality assurance. We see that now because if they had been monitoring it, they would have known that there were sixteen labs in play instead of uh, instead of the, the five that mm. they believe. And many of those uh, labs aren't now, or some of those labs aren't now. Some of the smaller labs are, are, aren't there now. Apparently, they've gone out of business as yeah. such. Uh, is it possible to get to the bottom of this fully, to fully understand what happened to, to the extent of where... Uh, there may have been problems uh, given that some of uh, these labs have gone out of existence. Well, the medical laboratory scientist, uh, the, the academy spokesperson uh, this morning on the radio seemed to indicate that it was possible. But more importantly, I think what we need to do is we need to see a clear plan that we are moving towards repatriating the work where the maximum amount of control and oversight can be exercised by the HSE, by the cervical check programme. Because at the end of the day, Michael, this is about women having confidence in that service and knowing that the, uh, the the checks and balances are in place, that the oversight is in place and that quality assurance is paramount. It cannot be a case yeah. of cheapest bid wins every time. Quality has to form part of it 
and the input of clinicians is absolutely essential. So the hope is that the minister will learn from this. He will learn what the, the difficulties are with outsourcing and that the HSE will learn from this. They will learn about the need to always have oversight, even when a contract has been signed, that still it is their job to ensure that the quality assurance and the, the procedures um, are being followed and that this work is being done to the highest possible standard. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Louise O'Reilly is a TD for Dublin Fingal and Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to fur farming or the banning of fur farming. Uh, we are long past uh, the glamorous mink coats uh, that Marilyn Monroe or Bridget Bardot may have worn to the envy of many others years ago. And uh, fur farming and uh, mink coats have been outlawed in many countries. Uh, but uh, there's still uh, around five mink farms in uh, this country with 200 to 225 5,000 mink being farmed to, to sell as for across uh, the world and uh, Ruth Coppinger Solidarity TD for Dublin West is calling on uh, the government to move uh, to make uh, the practice illegal in this country. She joins us now and a uh, very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Indeed you can still buy mink in this country can't you? Well the whole as you, as you said in your introduction the whole fur trade is in decline um, because even designers like Prada have come out against fur. So there is now a, a growing opposition mm. because particularly mink, which the three, there's actually only three operating fur firms now in Ireland, and it, it is mink who are solitary wild animals. So it's completely unnatural for them to be put in groups in cages. They're also semi-aquatic, and that's why the veterinary Ireland group who came out against fur farming who said you can't actually make it not cruel Uh, and I think that that's had a huge impact in bringing us to this current situation where there's now it seems only Fine Gael as the only party in the doll who haven't made their position clear Fianna Fáil came out last week and said that they would support a ban pending discussions with stakeholders which nobody is opposed to discussions Mm. taking place because obviously if there are people employed, we want to look at alternatives. But uh, I would point out that it's probably about 47 workers across the three farms. It's mainly seasonal people who come in from abroad. And um, I think that obviously the land can be used for other types of agribusiness. Um, The situation we're in now is Ireland is a laggard in terms of animal rights. Uh, This practice was banned in in the UK, for example, in 2000. Norway, which is very associated with the fur trade, is banning it now. Mm. And what's what's strange is that there was a bill on this in 2005 and Fine Gael backed a ban on fur farming in 2005 and so Mm. did the Labour Party. But they then went into government and did nothing about it for 14 years. So they now have an opportunity. And what we're calling for is the government to Finnegal to make clear their position. Because if we push our bill on the 3rd of July, which we intend to do, the bill will pass. So what the government has an opportunity to do in the next 20 days is to agree 
that they will ban this with a ministerial order, which they did, for example, with mm. the uh, circus animals. Uh, and let's talk about what they're banning, because as I understand it, uh, they uh, have uh, these mink in cages up till they're about six months old, and then they take them out in uh, batches of between 50 to 7 mink, put them into a, a box and gas them to death using carbon monoxide. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is particularly, you know, cruel and barbaric, and the skin is, is pulled off them. And uh, as has been said by the, the vets, they looked at ways to make this, uh, you know, well, looked at the animal welfare husbandry aspect of this, and even the EU has agreed that it's not possible. It's it, it's a little bit similar to, you know, dolphin parks, whale parks. It's just completely unnatural for animals be put in those environments and I think now we've seen 80% of people in a Red Sea poll opposed for farming and the politicians have to follow um, so what we're calling for is that Fine Gael can come out and the minister can move a ministerial order to ban this practice uh, it, because if we put our bill in July all of the parties have said that they will support it mm. so the government has a chance to do what's right. Uh, the, the, you know, they, you just can't prevent cruelty on these farms like repetitive behaviour, serious in, injuries, hydration issues and so on. It's and it's all fur farms, is it? Uh, you say there's uh, three mink farms. Do we still uh, farm fox for fur? No, there's only three fur farms and it's all mink. Mm. And it's, it's in Leash, Kerry and Donegal. Mm. Um, I would point out that they're estimated to, to, like there is a lot of mink on those three farms. Mm. It's up to, as you said, 200,000. And But the market simply isn't there anymore in any case. And it's, well, there's a, a shop at the end of Grafton Street. There's a, shop, there's, a, sorry, there's a shop at yeah. the end of Grafton Street, isn't there, that's uh, selling mink fur? Yeah, I think they might even have connection to one of these, I believe. Mm. Um I mean, um, I think they're doing regularly. pretty good business. I don't know if they are. I mean, mm. I've regularly seen protests at it as well. Mm. Um, it, like, wearing fur isn't exactly something that you, you, you do very openly anymore, you know? Mm. But look, the, the reality of it is, people don't support animal cruelty for producing a luxury product that people don't need and most people will never see in their lives. This mm. is for you know, a high-end exclusive item of clothing. We're not even talking about food here. Mm. So I just think that it's now time for uh, Fine Gael to come out and go with where the rest of Europe or most countries in Europe have gone and to ban fur farming and the bill is gaining unstoppable momentum. And is that all they do with the animals after they've slaughtered them or gassed them to death or whatever way you want to put it? Uh, Is it just the fur that they take from them uh, and uh, dispose of the rest of the animal? Well, this is a question I've asked um, and it would be good if the Mm. Minister for Agriculture answered. It's a bit clouded in secrecy uh, I, I was talking to a group of people yesterday who have been following up fur farms and I asked about what do they do with the disposal of bodies, for example, of mm. the mink. It's not clear whether they end up in pet food. It's not clear whether they're fed back to uh, the mink that they're breeding. You know, so it's actually quite an unhealthy situation. 
And the minister should uh, should explain the fur farms need to answer these questions. Mm. And how much would you sell a mink coat for? I don't know, but apparently in the past, per pelt, like per mink, yeah. it was something like 10 euros. Uh, but now that's... So I think it was estimated that the, the, the three mink farms were, were generating 2 million. But now the market's gone down and they're probably making a loss. Mm. And I can't answer all those questions because obviously you can only... Uh, some people who follow this up gauge the profitability from their company accounts, etc., that are published. But either way, we just have to reevaluate how we treat animals on a whole range of uh, ways. I mean, it, it, it ties in with the green wave that we've seen among particularly among young people. Mm. There isn't any justification to have fur farming. It is innately cruel. And Ireland now has a chance. They can circumvent us having to put our bill in our private members' time in July with a ministerial order banning this on the grounds of animal welfare, on the grounds of uh, not putting wild animals into captivity. There's a couple of ways that the Mm. minister can do this. Have you any idea how many mink it would take to make a fur coat? To make a long fur coat, 10, 20, 30, something like that? Oh, at least that, yeah. At least that, my yeah. God. Yes. And you'd probably yeah. sell them for a few thousand, I, I assume. I'm sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, as I said, the fashion mm. industry is also reevaluating mm. its relationship with mink. And when you have the likes of Prada and other major yeah. fashion yeah. houses coming out against it. So I, I, I think that the market is in decline. Mm. So there's a, a chance here for the government to act. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as I said, most EU states have banned or are banning it. Uh, and, um, and the mink and, farms and, are... and, and it's also how come Finnegal fourteen years ago mm. voted? I take it you'd, you'd have to phase it out. I take it these are, are licensed farms and uh, that they'd have to be phased out or compensated or something like that. Yeah. Well, mm. what has been done in other countries is either a compensation scheme mm. or a period of time that they have to close down. So, for example, in Norway, but they have a much bigger fur industry there. Mm-hmm. They're giving, they're banning any new farms being set up and they're given a period of time for the others to close down. The, that can be discussed. You know, I'm open to how that will be done. I, I would, however, caution that we need to be careful that the taxpayer doesn't end up compensating farms that are not actually making money, you know, mm-hmm. Um that's that they don't that they aren't allowed so much time that they uh, they have to be uh, truthful with their accounts etc. So I'm open to compensation and to allowing people to diversify into other areas. Like one of the mink farms, they do other farming mm. on their adjacent land. You know, so there's an opportunity in Scotland, for example, when they did the ban in Britain, one of the farms turned into a strawberry farm. Mm. Or a reasonable so, phase-out period, and uh, ju- I suppose going back to that idea of six months, you rare the animal for six months and, uh, and then slaughtered or whatever way you want to put it, so that in six months' time you could have used yeah. up all your stock, you know, yeah. for want of a better way of putting it, uh, maybe to give people a year or even two years, uh, and uh, 
be difficult to argue with that but I, I, I don't know I imagine to a lot of people's ears the conversation in itself is pretty weird uh, but yeah. uh, you're asking the government uh, to look at this uh, over the course of the next three weeks or so and uh, we'll come back to it uh, in, in the intervening time and thanks uh, for joining us this morning That's, thanks very much. Uh, thank you very much indeed Solidarity TD for Dublin West Ruth Coppinger Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just uh, going back uh, to that uh, decision uh, of Kevin Callan to nominate uh, the Fianna Fáil candidate, Declan Power, to take the seat. Kevin Callan won in Drogheda Rural Municipal District. Let's uh, talk uh, about uh, this with Eamon Sweeney, who was uh, the Renewa Ireland candidate and uh, was just pipped at the post in terms of uh, taking a seat. Uh, Any sour grapes here? Absolutely not, uh, Michael. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, if I could, just before, before I start, I'd like to thank all the people who voted for me right across from Plough Head mm. to, the, to the Hill of Rath. What do you think of Kevin Collins? And, 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 and mm-hmm. I just like to mm-hmm. put that on the record. Thanks very much to those people who I really appreciate it. Um, well, Kevin Callan's in a situation where it's his prerogative mm. to appoint who he so wishes and I think Kevin is doing that and that is his, his right at, at the present minute mm. Well what you were eliminated as such with 787 votes I, I think uh, somebody who got 261 votes will most likely take the seat does that seem fair to you? Well, the position I feel is that I'm the last man standing mm. um, I have a mandate and from talking to people on the ground uh, in my travels, uh, most people I speak to, if not all, believe mm. that the, pe- the last man standing is, is, is where it, sh- it should filter to. Mm. I, I suppose under normal circumstances uh, that is what would happen, but uh, you've got to take Kevin Callan's vote into account as well. Well, that's what I'm saying. Ke- Kevin Callan is exercising his prerogative mm. and uh, he's entitled to do that and uh, he has nominated... Uh, Declan Power, and that's where where it is at the, at, the, at the moment. Mm, and you accept that? What that, that's the, the, the legal position, as oh, I understand no, I know, it. But what, what's your view on it? Well, my view is that that I'm yeah, I'm repeating myself here. Mm. The last man standing. No, I know that. But what do you think? Do you think it's fair, or do you think it's unfair? Well, obviously, I would I would consider myself to be the person who should take the seat because of the mandate I have, and because I'm the last mm. man standing. And so, you, so you're, in other words, you're saying it's unfair. Did you speak to Kevin Callan at all in the last few weeks? Uh, I have spoken to Kevin Callan. I spoke to him at the count, um, um, and you know, Kevin Callan is, is is in some ways in a position that 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 he's taken very seriously himself. I'm quite sure. Okay. Look, thanks for coming in to us uh, this morning. Uh, that is uh, Renewa candidate uh, Eamon Sweeney. Now, let's uh, thanks, go to a campaign to improve access uh, to hospital care and access uh, to consultants uh, and indeed uh, the long waiting list that many people are very uh, aware of. Laura Durkin, consultant, rheumatologist, rheumatologist in Beaumont Hospital and vice president of the Irish Hospital Consultants Association, joins us uh, to talk about a campaign, the IHCSA has launched. Uh, good morning to you, Laura, and thanks for joining us. Uh, this is uh, the Care Can't Wait campaign, but obviously there's an awful lot of people in this country who are waiting a long time to receive uh, the care that they need. Oh, uh, thanks, for, thanks for taking us uh, uh, this morning, Michael. Um, yeah, it's come to a point really where the hospital consultants of Ireland have decided that we have no choice but to speak up for our patients. You know, um, we're tired of apologising to patients for the wait times in clinic. Um, you know, it's it's not okay that people will uh, wait three years to see a urologist or to see a dermatologist or to see any specialist. You know, it's not okay that children are waiting years to get to neurology or to orthopaedic surgery or scoliosis operations. 
you know, it's not okay that some of these children won't even be children by the time they get to their point on the waiting list. And we're looking at a situation where these lists are now at more than 500,000. So the entire population of Connacht are essentially sitting on a waiting list in this country. Um, And the waiting times are inordinate in many cases for that matter. Some people uh, waiting a matter of weeks, some people waiting a matter of years. Absolutely. And, you know, what we're seeing is exponential growth in the number of patients sitting on these waiting lists. We're up by 200,000 since 2014. And the truth of the matter is that at the moment, we are at a situation where we have half the number of specialists that we should have for the population of Ireland. And out of that, 500 of our posts, which is a fifth of the total, are unfilled. And really what, what, what's happening is, you know, we're seeing the knock-on effect of having an unfilled team. We're essentially going out with seven players instead of a full team all the time. And then, you know, it's really no surprise that we're kind of accruing these enormous waiting lists. But it's not right. It's not so, okay. Seven players uh, in different parts of the field. Uh, some uh, parts of the country are receiving an appropriate level of service, others aren't. And I suppose because you have uh, that shortfall and these vacancies, uh, there's a geographical lottery to some extent. Oh, uh, listen, absolutely. Now, there's no area, I have to say, Martin, that's unaffected. So we're even seeing a situation now, you know, where I think people in in Dublin would have felt that they were um, almost protected and that this was more a rural problem. But we now have situations where there are, you know, huge numbers of posts unfilled in the Dublin teaching hospitals. So, but if we look at where, at where you're, at your listeners, you know, in Drogheda, um, there's 13,000 people waiting to be seen. And of that, 6,000 people are waiting longer than six months to be seen by a specialist. Mm. And that's across multiple different specialties. Um, and and of know, course, that's in Drogheda, people coming from Balbriggan uh, and elsewhere uh, to be seen in Drogheda. And people going from Drogheda into Beaumont uh, and other hospitals in Dublin uh, for uh, uh, consultancies. Absolutely. So I think even those numbers for your listeners, given that there are multiple hospitals that they're kind of feeding into, you know, I Mm. think that's vastly underestimating the number of your listeners who are sitting waiting for specialist care. And I suppose we're asking now, we've started this campaign, Care Can't Wait, because we need the government to step up and address the issue of understaffing and unfilled posts at a specialist level. I mean, you know, we're looking at a situation where the economy is improving and it's time now to kind of start sorting this problem out. We, in order to start seeing an impact on this, we're going to need to get bums and seats, get people in seeing patients, you know. Yeah, and uh, I suppose uh, some of uh, the problems are easier to understand uh, than others. Uh, I mean, if you talk about scoliosis or something, uh, if something like that is left untreated, it uh, can, in fact, end up uh, being so bad that it's not treatable. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm a rheumatologist and lots of my diseases, um, really early intervention is key to maintaining people in the workforce and to diminishing disability. And absolutely, in in paediatric rheumatology, the same can be said. You know, if you get in early in lots of these conditions, you you prevent disability. And, And that's a huge 
cost saving over the life of the patient because they remain in the workforce, they remain, mm. you know, without a disability. Not to mention the, the you know, the benefit to the individual, but the benefit to society of early intervention in these diseases is enormous. Mm. Um, you know, Michael, like we train in Ireland, we do a great job of training doctors. Mm. We train more doctors than anywhere else in Europe. Um, and because we do such a good job of training them, they're highly sought after in the other um, English-speaking countries. Mm. So they leave. And highly and paid here, people would say, uh, as well. But uh, I take it that the cost is already factored in and that you're talking about approved posts. So uh, so uh, what we're saying, we're not asking the government to spend any more money on doctors. What we're asking is that they start to sm- spend smart on doctors. The locum bill in, our, in Ireland is more than €57 million Euro per year. Um, and what we are asking is that they take that money they, and, and that they invest it in permanent staff who will look to, ser- you know, develop services and who will look to kind of bring their specialties and their hospitals and intervene on their waiting lists along with them. Okay. So really, we're imploring the government to start to spend smart on this front and to stop plugging holes um, with agency staff and to start investing in permanent people who are going to deliver for them, you know. OK, That's Laura, a- I've run out of time. Thank you for your time and thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. Laura Durkin, consultant rheumatologist at Beaumont Hospital, vice president of the Irish Hospital Consultants Association, brings us uh, to the end of our programme uh, today. Before we go, let me remind you, a podcast available of today's show on LMFM this afternoon and God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie Hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.